The views, information, or opinions expressed during this recording are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Alberta Health Services and its employees. This is Long COVID, the pandemic after the pandemic, an Alberta Health Services webinar and podcast series. Long COVID is now being recognized as a new chronic condition that is becoming better understood across the globe. We aim to support our healthcare providers and caregivers to find and use appropriate resources for themselves, their patients, and clients. We'll share stories from patients and providers and explore the innovative work being done in Alberta, across Canada, and globally to support long COVID. This series will help raise awareness of all the work that's being done to understand and address this complex puzzle. This is Long COVID, the pandemic after the pandemic. It's an Alberta Health Services webinar and podcast series, and I'm your host, Shauna Curry. We've restarted this podcast and webinar series to bring you some updates on Long COVID since a lot has changed over the past year and since we've concluded our previous four-part series. I'll continue to interview guests to provide updates on programs and services that support Long COVID, common trends in Long COVID, and themes that have emerged along the way. Uh, I encourage you to share this information with your parents and provide, or with your patients, sorry, and providers uh, that can benefit from learning the most useful information about long COVID. This webinar is being recorded, so please mute your phones if you're calling in. And if you have any questions for our guests, please type them into the chat box and we'll answer as many of those questions as we can at the end of this episode. So, so far, this series has explored both patient perspectives and provider perspectives around long COVID. We've looked at some of the innovative solutions and technology that's being implemented to support patients and programs for long COVID. We've also taken a big picture perspective and looked at where things started with long COVID and where we thought things were going. So today we have a panel of five guests to talk about their expertise related to long COVID. We'll start with a quick background of each speaker and give an overview of the clinic that they work at. And then we'll have a panel discussion to learn more about what each of their clinics are doing to support long COVID and which clinics are most appropriate for providers to refer to. Our first guest today is Dan Bradley. Dan is a physiotherapist, too, at the IPOP post-COVID clinic based out of the K. Edmonton Clinic. Dan is a part of a small team that's been tasked with establishing an interdisciplinary care clinic designed to assess and treat clients in northern Alberta who are living with long COVID. Prior to joining the post-COVID team, Dan spent nine years working as an acute care physiotherapist at the Misericordia Hospital. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. For anyone in our audience who doesn't know what an IPOP clinic is or what the Kate clinic is, could you please give us an overview of the clinic? Absolutely. Thanks, Jonna, for having me. Um, IPOP basically stands for the Interprofessional Outpatient Services. So we're just, um, we've shortened it up to IPOP, a kind of a catchy term. Um, and then the K. Edmonton Clinic is uh, just a large ambulatory um, building that we have, just about Kitty Corner to the University Hospital, that a lot, uh, a lot of um, different ambulatory ambulatory clinics reside in. I think they're looking at about eighty now. So yeah, we're just a, a tiny little team that's uh, in the corner of this really really large building. Wonderful, thanks, Dan. We also have Dr. Maeve Smith with us here today from the K-Clinic. She's on standby mostly to answer any questions that are better suited for an MD or an NP. Uh, Dr. Maeve Smith is an associate professor in the Division of Pulmonary Medicine at the University of Alberta and one of the original founders of the post-COVID clinic in June 2020. 
Alongside with Dr. Grace Lamb, she co-directed the Edmonton Long COVID IPOP Clinic. Dr. Smith, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, do you want to give us just a quick hello and let us uh, let the audience know a little bit more about your specific role within the IPOP clinics? Yeah, hi. Thanks, uh, Shauna. Thanks for having me uh, here. Yeah, as you said just there, um, I was uh, along with a, a small team uh, on the original uh founders of the post-COVID clinic, as it was then known, um, which started in June of 2020, and that was the first one in Alberta. And that was purely a physician-run, uh, physician-led, um, and uh, it uh, progressed. We we involved uh, lots of different specialties for advice and help, and we had a few key players from uh, various services and specialties who were keen to help us, and uh, we sent referrals to and then over time um, we uh, became involved in uh, helping Calgary to set up some respiratory post-COVID clinics um, and following this there was obviously groups came together and uh, the provincial uh, IPOP uh, clinics uh, were formed um, following uh, successful funding uh, from AHS and so now we are this, uh, we are no longer the post-COVID clinic, but as Dan says, we are the the long COVID IPOP clinic. Uh, we, all, we all have the same names uh, for Edmonton and Calgary. And uh, we uh, have, a, have a great team um, with full uh, in-place established uh, specialist support uh, from Dan, obviously, as our physical therapist. We have an occupational therapist, social worker. Um, we have an application out for a psychologist at present and uh, we obviously also have Rhoda who's our nurse practitioner who really sort of I would say clinically leads uh, the clinic um, and the physicians now tend to support uh, in that uh, in that sense um, as this you know really uh, we have an, an excellent team that is providing a much more comprehensive and uh, and seamless uh, sort of streamlined care uh, for patients uh, referred to our clinic. Thanks for that, Dr. Smith. Our third guest today is Leona Liskey. Leona is the RN in the Peter Lockheed Center COVID Clinic or PLC Clinic and has been in the clinic since December 2021. As the RN, she triages all the patient referrals for the PLC. Leona performs the initial phone assessment and follow up assessments and sends correspondences to family uh, or primary care providers. She has been a nurse for a long time, mainly working in the ER with a stint in contact tracing for COVID-19. Leona, thanks so much for joining us today. Dan, gave us a, an idea of what an IPOP clinic is. Could you give us an overview of what Peter Lockheed is and how it's different? Thanks so much, Shauna. So yeah, our Clinic is runs a little bit differently than Edmonton. We are, might be a bit jealous that they they have people in house um, for physio and OT, and uh, we do not. And so we do refer to CAR Community Accessible Rehab for some of our folks. Um, and so as a as the nurse and nurse practitioner, we both uh, divide and conquer by assessing patients over the phone initially. And then if deemed necessary, our nurse practitioner will see in person 
and then we follow them generally uh, until all services are in place for them. Uh, and then we transfer our care back to the uh, primary care for provider versus well, their medical home just to continue on with things. So we feel that if we get all those services in place for them, they should be able to um, continue on. So we may keep our patients up to a year um, and sometimes beyond, depending on what's going on with them. So we are a little bit different. We do see a, um, a lot of folks, but all virtually at the beginning um, from just north of uh, Red Deer to 16th Avenue in Calgary um, uh, for the PLC. And then the Rocky View deals with patients from south of 16th Avenue, which is Highway 1, to the border, um, the U.S. border, and then borders on both sides of Saskatchewan and Alberta, or sorry, Saskatchewan and B.C. is who are catchment areas that, that we see. Perfect. Thanks for that description, Leona. Our fourth guest today is Lauren Singh. Lauren is a physiotherapist and the clinical lead for the post-COVID rehab team based out of Community Accessible Rehabilitation, or CAR, and affiliated with the Long COVID Clinics for Southern Alberta. Lauren has supported the AHS COVID Rehab Task Force since the onset of the pandemic and has co-authored rehabilitation recommendations and clinical guidance documents to support individuals living with Long COVID. Now, Lauren, you've been on the webinar series before, but I suspect we've got some new listeners that may not have heard episode two where you were previously a guest. Could you describe what the CAR program is and how it supports patients with long COVID? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Shauna. Um, so CAR is based out of Calgary. It's a multidisciplinary rehabilitation program um, that has four different streams embedded into it. So in traditional outpatient rehab, we have MSK, neuro rehab, pulmonary rehab, and now um, we have a post-COVID or long-COVID rehab stream. So that dedicated funding for that stream mirrors um, kind of Dan's team up in North Sector, and we serve South Sector, so that catchment area that Leona was talking about, north of Red Deer, all the way to the U.S. border and on the sides. And so the post-COVID program, based out of CAR, again, is multidisciplinary in nature. It comprised of PT, OT, social work, and we work in a transdisciplinary method to support patients that are still experiencing moderate to severe functional impairments as a byproduct of their COVID infection. Thanks, Lauren. That's fantastic. And then our fifth guest today is Christine Hunter. Christine is the OT team lead for the Allied Health Community uh, and works at Chris West and the K Clinic. Christine, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what the Chris Clinic is? You betcha. So, um, Probably similar to how things started in, in Calgary in the in the Edmonton zone um, as uh, clients with, with uh, long COVID were looking for services, um, people seemed to find our program, which was uh, great that we were able to be there for them since uh, we now have kind of the IPOP uh, clinics now operating, which is great, but we are still... Um, Oh, Dan, how would you say it? I guess we're kind of um, partnering partnering together to provide services just because we kind of got our our feet in the door first with providing some. And now that we have, I pop up and running, probably looking, uh, transferring some of the programming to them. Um, however, we are seeing uh, uh, clients, we continue to see clients and we'll, we'll continue to see clients. So yeah, uh, Chris is Community Rehab Interdisciplinary Services. Uh, we're a program that supports adults living in the community who present with functional impairment and require an interdisciplinary approach. So we're not just seeing long COVID, we see a, a multiple uh, multiple different diagnostic groups. 
Um, probably big thing about our service is people have to uh, require OT or speech needs, hence the kind of interdisciplinary and, and complex need. Uh, that being said, with long COVID, um, fatigue being such a, a critical piece that impacts so many levels of people's function, um, you know, most I haven't, I haven't, don't think I've met a long COVID client yet who hasn't, um, who hasn't seen one of our occupational therapists. Um, so that's definitely, and, and, and several of them see our, our speech therapists as well for things like cognitive fog and how, um, you know, changes with cognition. Thank you. That's great. So now we've done a quick overview of the differences between the IPOP clinics, between Chris and Carr. So now we'll move into the panel discussion to get a better understanding of which clinics are most appropriate for referrals. Uh, I've heard through some providers they're not sure who to refer to, what you know, when they should refer, what types of patients they sh should refer. So today we're going to clarify all of that information. So we're going to start out with the question of who is appropriate to refer to your clinic as well as who is not. And so we'll start out maybe with the IPOP clinics and then we'll move to Chris and Carr. Dan, do you maybe want to lead us off? Sure, absolutely. So we typically see um, people who have um, either confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID um, about 12 weeks um, post-test or post-positive test. Um, I, I feel like more and more, and I think Dr. Smith might agree that we're seeing people who it's more in the suspected column because people aren't testing as much. Um, but typically after that, it, um, uh, it it's usually symptom-based. Um, people who uh, either have profound um, fatigue, as Christine mentioned, um, with a sequelae of other um, type illnesses. Now, something that uh, is very specific to our clinic is that they do come through the NPM physician group as well. They can't be directly referred into, um, into rehab. So that often will make up choices for primary care providers is whether or not um, they do need some medical management. They will come through the physician group, whereas with Chris, they can they can either be referred or self-refer into Chris themselves for rehab-specific stuff. I don't know, Dr. Smith, do you want to add on to that? Yeah, thanks, Anne. Um, yeah, so the referrals um, that come in for our IPOP clinic, they can come from um, a medical practitioner, um, so including physician, nurse practitioner, um, or medical practitioners, essentially. Um, we do have a criteria which, again, is provincially agreed for these uh, IPOP referrals. Uh, so it's adults, um, so patients over the age of 18, um, who, as Dan said, uh, they must be at least 12 weeks from the original infection. Um, and we do need that date uh, on within the, the referral or, you know, the, the time, uh, approximate time in the referral letter. Um, with persistent or new symptoms thought to be related to the original infection with uh, no other obvious cause um, following reasonable investigation. And um, yet yeah, the, the sort of myriad of uh, symptoms, is, uh, as everybody I'm sure in this call knows, is, 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 can be massive. Um, and as we receive the referrals in, um, 
the the usual path is that uh, for Edmonton is that patients will then be uh, reviewed uh, by our nurse practitioner and if they're deemed to need um, a physician review they go on that path if they need a further follow-up with our nurse practitioner then that happens um, or if they need either of those two plus or minus referral to um, our uh, multidisciplinary team then then that's the next route um, but yeah adults over 18 at least 12 weeks out from original infection um, with no other obvious cause for their symptoms following reasonable investigation or the sort of agreed uh, criteria for referral in. Perfect. And and either for Dr. Smith or Dan, are there patients that are commonly referred to your clinic that are not appropriate and, and perhaps that you find that you're declining on a regular basis, you know, and perhaps where they should be going instead? I, I can take this one if you like, Dan, as I review all the referrals. So, um, you know, the majority are are very appropriate. Um, we run into, we've had a, a few that um, are you know, patients who have developed symptoms following vaccination, which is not unfortunately appropriate uh, for our clinic. Um, as I say, it's, um, you know, it's, it's having the information there that meet the criteria um, for, for review. Um, and uh, yeah, every, every single referral is reviewed uh, individually. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's, it's not particularly common uh, to, to, have inappropriate referrals. Perfect. Thank you. Now, Leona, we'll, we'll let you chat and see, are there any differences between uh, your IPOP clinic and, and Calgary as a whole? I, I certainly think that um, the Alberta referral directory lays it out well, but the one of the things we do find is that um, patients from other provinces like Saskatchewan and, and Manitoba are trying to refer their patients to our clinic and so we have we do decline those because they do need to be an Alberta resident with Alberta Healthcare. So that is one of the things um, that is infrequently happening um, but is is a bit of a problem and we're trying to figure out for BC whether southeastern BC is is maybe part of our catch area in the south. Um, I know the north does take the Northwest Territories. So, you know, we will um, do more to determine that. But as of right now, it still has to be an Alberta resident with Alberta Healthcare. Otherwise, we do same 12 weeks. They need to be an adult. Um, uh, it would be nice if they had a, a positive test um, because the suspected are, are always tougher to, to deal with and understand. Um, but uh, the Alberta referral directory is is what physicians should be looking at and getting the referral from to send to us and sending a full referral as opposed to um, uh, you know just a, a little note that is one or two lines that says this is you know they have long COVID symptoms. Um, it would be nice to be able to tell what those symptoms are when they tested all those kind of things. So a good re appropriate referral would be. Um, a well-filled-out referral would be appreciated. Thank you. Off to you, Christine. Yeah, so again, we're not a long COVID-specific clinic, so the eligibility for our program is, you know, uh, 18 years of age or older, uh, not already accessing uh, rehab services through AHS at another program. 
Um, really key to our program is, is being able to identify that functional impairment that's affecting the everyday activities. We haven't seen a lot of challenges that with, with our long COVID population, they're usually quite able to identify how their symptoms are affecting their daily life. Um, motivated and committed to the rehab process and, and medically stable. Who we don't see is anybody who's being seen, um, you know, by uh, another AHS program uh, for a similar, for the, for the same concern. Uh, anybody who's currently being funded through WCB, um, uh, anybody who's in a care facility currently, um, meaning, you know, more of a long-term care, and clients who only require physiotherapy services. Great. Thank you. And off to you, Lauren. Sure. So our primary um, drivers for referral for the long COVID program at CAR is our IPOP affiliates in Calgary, so out of Rocky View and PLC. So obviously it's that provincial standard um, criteria to get into those clinics. Um, and then we also receive referrals from community, whether that's non-physician health professionals or primary care physicians um, that are uh, sending referrals directly to us for rehabilitation. Um, the big criteria for CAR is going to be uh, that moderate to severe functional impairment, so that PCFS score of three or four. It, generally, I, my feeling is like I review all the referrals for CARS, long COVID program. And so if something comes to me and it's not appropriate, um, I'll often try to redirect it or um, navigate where the most appropriate destination for that referral would be if it's not us. Because we are such a small team um, with that dedicated funding, our program model for long COVID management is predominantly in that episodic disability or that energy limiting illness um, phenotype of COVID. So if somebody has post-intensive care syndrome after, you know, a prolonged ICU stay and there's critical illness, myopathy, neuropathy, they would be more appropriate for a different program within CAR, maybe neuro or maybe other supports that are going to be more in-person physical exercise training. Whereas, you know, if people are on the lower end of um, impairment, they just have persistent symptoms that are not functionally limiting them then looking at referring to other resources within AHS that can address that specific impairment. Because like um, Chris and what Christine was saying is, you know, we need to have multiple disciplines involved um, in terms of helping support patients that have that moderate to severe functional impairment. But I think if people are actually presenting with moderate to severe functional impairment, they inherently need multiple disciplines. So, um, and then I guess on our referral form, it does say like eight weeks of persistent symptoms as opposed to 12 um, and I think that was just to kind of catch people in the earlier stages of um, trying to put some strategies in place early on. But the reality is we probably get referrals uh, from people who are sick in 2020 up until, you know, the fall of 2022. So, I mean, we're really not getting anybody that was sick in the last three months right now, just because of, I think, symptom onset and, you know, the ability to present to other uh, referral sources and then trying to tease out any other reasonable explanation for why those symptoms are there. Thank you. Now, Leona, you started to touch on how to refer to, to clinics. And so uh, you touched on the Alberta referral directory. Did you have any other points in terms of what needs to be filled out in terms of being able to refer to the IPOP clinics? Certainly the referral is, is the referral form that you can find on Alberta Health uh, or Alberta referral directory is great. Uh, the PCFS, which is the post-COVID functional status. Uh, form uh, it's like a I want to say a three three or four pager um, that ha goes through symptoms and it is a checkoff system. Uh, it, some some physicians have their patient fill it out. Uh, most physicians fill it out 
um, after assessing their patient, which would probably be a more accurate um, understanding of the symptoms um, medically. And so we do that. We do encourage that. I know that in the Rocky View, they actually require that more so than we do up in the PLC. Um, and that, you know, that's a personal preference, but um, it gives some idea if there's a really great referral with a, um, the form plus a letter that talks about the symptoms and what's going on and what they've tried or anything like that would be great um, to have. Uh, the PCFS is a nice tool uh, for sure. That, so that would be great to um, add to it as well. Thank you. And any differences in Edmonton in terms of that referral process? As I say, we're provincially aligned, and as Leona said, the PCFS is uh, is optional, um, and it's not a requirement uh, in in Edmonton. Um, what we do do with regard to questionnaires is once patients have been accepted and booked into the clinic um, via our REDCAP database uh, system, um, an email goes out to the patient um, with a link to completing uh, various uh, questionnaires, symptom score questionnaires, health-related quality of life questionnaires, and uh, this, this does also include uh, the PCFS. Uh, within that. And so we then have all that uh, on record, on file, which is very helpful um, at the time of uh, the initial uh, assessment. Thank you. And just to clarify for anyone who's not familiar with the PCFS screening tool, the intent of it is meant more for family physicians, for nurse practitioners, as an early screening to start to identify flags for long COVID symptoms. It's not intended for specialist use in terms of giving more information about those diagnoses. At this point, we know that there's over 200 symptoms of long COVID, so the form does not capture all of those symptoms, uh, but it does do a good job of screening for the most concerning symptoms that we want to be aware of. So just to clarify that, uh, we'll move on to our next question here is, what should patients or providers do while they're waiting uh, to get into either the IPOP clinics or Chris or Carr to help manage their symptoms? So maybe we'll start off with Lauren on this one. Oh, thanks. I wasn't expecting to go first. I was like going to take a drink of water. So really shocked me there. Um, well, what can you do? I think the, I guess with the piece I didn't say on referral criteria is a shortness of breath or um, cardiac symptoms like palpitations or tachycardia or one of those things, one of those symptoms people are presenting with. We usually, like Christine said and Chris, we want some medical stability before they enter rehab. And generally that means, can you investigate that reasonably? Um, and address it before they come to us, you know, because we've had in the past, you know, pre this COVID individuals that present with shortness of breath. And so we do all this work around breathing retraining. And then it turns out they're like an uncontrolled asthmatic. And it's like, oh, okay, well, this is a different way to, um, you know, deal with this population. So that's, those are two pieces that need to be investigated before referral can come to us. And that can sometimes delay care. Um, but our CAR waitlist um, for access to the long COVID rehab program is actually pretty negligible um, from time of referral to time of appointment is less than a month. Um, so there isn't really a lot of, of that wait time to be able to see us aside from clearing some of those medical flags. Um, it, it's just that connecting the dots and getting patients and the referral into us. And if the, in, the referral is incomplete, um, like Leona said, the Alberta referral directory is a really good place to go. 
uh, if you send an incomplete referral, we're going to send back a request for information and just the tight turnaround time and getting that in is what's going to expedite patients into care um, in Calgary. And South Sector, I guess, because we serve everything South. Perfect. Thanks, Lauren. Christine, what about you? Yeah, what do people do when they're waiting? A really good question. Um, we, um, along with IPOP, we both kind of, as uh, soon as we get a referral um, that, uh, I don't know, I can't speak to the the IPOP end of things, but at Chris, we try and get them into an education group um, kind of within a month or two of receiving the referral to make sure they're getting that early education where we go over um, community resources and programs people can do while they're waiting, as well as we send an email that has that, uh, some links as well. So. Um, uh, you know, um, Rehab Advice Line is a good place to go for people to kind of get some initial information and get them started. And I think probably one of the the key things that they probably do is get people to look at the website and all that great information that's already there on the website. Uh, can be a little bit, because uh, there's a lot there, uh, can be a little difficult to navigate. I usually direct people who call and talk to me to the specific areas on that on the website uh, that uh, I find the most helpful, depending on what their presentation is. Um, I think that's that education piece of things. Um, the piece that's a little bit harder to do is to find that um, validation um, that this is real and that they're experiencing something and they don't feel alone. And that's been the the harder um, piece of the puzzle to fill while they're waiting for programming. But yeah, starting off with rehab, uh, you know, rehab advice line, the HS websites. Um, we have had some clients really enjoy some of the community stuff. We don't necessarily recommend it, but, um, clients do access things like Facebook pages and stuff. So, um, you know, uh, just encouraging them to seek out reparable information, which isn't necessarily Facebook, but, uh, it is there. Uh, there, there is stuff out there for them to help them feel, uh, not so alone in the process. Yeah. So I guess that would be some of my top ones, um, people can do. And I think the, the key message is um, my favorite PowerPoint slide, and I will not, I think it's to carry, Lauren would probably know uh, the reference better for it, but, you know, just the message of stop, rest, and pace. Um, and that, you know, rest right now is the most important thing people can be doing. I think that's really the message that people need to get out there is to stop pushing. That recovery will come often a bit easier when people aren't working so hard at trying to recover. That's such a great point when we stop fighting with ourselves and like pushing to like to do more and we want our lives to go back to normal. And we want things to be the way that they were. And, you know, we're pushing and going and going. And sometimes that can be a detriment, especially with long COVID. So that's such a great point. Thanks for sharing that, Christine. Uh, Dr. Smith and Dan, off to you. I think Dan will probably answer this one better. So all I will say is, you know, from the physician perspective, uh, what we often advise, and particularly if we get a referral, if it's um, a single system symptom, for example, sensory uh, loss of taste issue and, and nothing else, and given the wait time for the clinic and what would happen is following obviously appropriate investigation to exclude other causes, we would uh, signpost people to the AHS website that has got some excellent uh, documentation and resource on it on using my current example things like sensory retraining etc um, but yeah I think Dan can answer this one a bit better um, yeah so we're similar to Chris uh, we are moving to a, a situation where as soon as um, patients are triaged into our clinic that we try to get them into this early, um, early long COVID education class that gives a lot of good information specifically about stop, rest, pace, and prioritization and, and planning. And it's just a lot of good stuff on symptom management. 
Um, but to add on to uh, what Christine was saying, um, from a provider standpoint, I think it's just really important to get into their corner, um, listen to them, listen to what they have to say, especially when you suspect that this is, and if you're making a referral to a long COVID clinic, um, just, you know, advocating for them. Um, they're going to have issues with their employer. Um, oftentimes we're running into issues with insurance companies. Um, we've had issues with WCB. Um, it seems to be getting a little bit better, but just get into get into their corner, listen to what they have to say, and really advocate for them because it it is a lonely uh, this invisible illness is really lonely for them, and they um, they struggle to um, find support out there. And again, that's why people will will move into that social media side of things um, because it is such a a, a patient led um, um, situation where people are are forming these support groups. But, um, you know, as a provider, whether you're a physician or a allied health um, provider, just listening to what they have to say and doing what you can to advocate for their right to um, get further investigation or um, and encouraging them to slow things down. Stop, rest, pace is, is probably the, the three, three best words that we can use for all of them. But, yeah. Thanks, Jan. Leona, we've covered a ton of great points. Do you have any uh, any differing opinions or anything else that we've missed? The one thing we have started to do is in our acceptance letter is um, put a, a blurb about referring to CAR while the patient is waiting for their appointment with us. Um, our wait time is is about fourteen weeks now, so we've we've shaped that down a bit, which is um, nicer for us, um, able to get to see these patients sooner. But if we've noticed that they're short of breath and haven't had things like PFTs or a chest x-ray or, you know, any kind of additional testing, uh, I will put that into the acceptance letter so that maybe the physician can actually get that done while the patient's waiting for our clinic. Uh, some physicians are great at getting that done ahead of time. Some um, may not be. So we just encourage any extra testing um, to be done. So that's great. Thank you. And so for our last question in, in the panel, uh, what do you wish more people knew about your clinic that we haven't already talked about today? So we'll start this one off with Christine. Oh, good clinic. Uh, good question. It's kind of like trying to explain what OT is. <laughs> you know, so we are a rehab clinic. We don't have any physicians um, or nurses here or respiratory therapists. We are OTs, PTs, speech therapists, recreation therapists, and social workers. So um, I think understanding that we're a rehab program, uh, understanding that we are uh, client-centered, and we really focus in on client self-management. Um we are evidence-informed with our programming. We have a lot of experience on fatigue management um, and that we like to operate in groups for the reasons that we've talked about, that this clientele often needs um, peer support. Um, uh, facilitated peer support is what we uh, what we offer. And I wouldn't call it, we're not offering necessarily support groups, but like adjustment groups, breathing groups, um, you know, mindfulness and movement groups, um, energy management groups. So just, you know, that, that group programming is, is part of how we deliver our service and that we have a very knowledgeable staff in this area. We've been working with, you know, people with long COVID for coming on kind of two years now, and we're still learning all the time and have lots to learn. And I really appreciate 
linking with with Dan and Lauren, um, because we see a lot of different diagnostic sets, it's always helpful to kind of make sure we're on track with providing the, the best current level of evidence because the evidence is changing and evolving and it's still everybody's working to understand this condition and what's the best way to go about helping these people get back to the activities that they'd like to engage in in their day. That's great. Leona, off to you. Oh, I was thinking it was going the other way. Um, <laughs> the one thing that we are really trying to to let our patients know is that we are a, t- a time limited program um, that we walk alongside their primary care providers and their uh, medical home, but we don't take over total care of the patient. Um, so that we we will look after COVID symptoms um, and you know get those services in place. Uh, sometimes uh, patients and or their physicians think that we will take over every aspect of of the patient's care, but the primary care physician is still in charge of all of that. So we do um, let people know that that is an important part. Is that we are here to help with alongside their primary care pr- provider, but not take over totally. Um, in the realm of um, patient care ver- and long COVID care. That's great to clarify. Thank you. I'm going to echo that as well, because that has been an issue for us is the time-limited nature of our program. Um, definitely has been some of these clients do uh, may benefit for some longer following. So that is important to kind of recognize that we aren't necessarily following everybody through their whole course of condition. That's great. Uh, Dr. Smith and Dan. Okay, I can go first on this one. Um, uh, you know, the one thing I want people to to know is we are a really small clinic. Um, as as Dr. Smith mentioned before, there's there's one of each of us. There's one physio, one OT, social worker, one MP, um, one nurse. So you know, sometimes our our wait list can climb up a little bit, and that's why we've moved to that that um, system of of virtual um, virtual classes that we are kind of co-partnering with uh, or partnering with with Chris on that one um, because there's a lot of really good information out there a lot of um, support that we can provide but it, it's just it's it's better utilized in that in that group format at the time being we do see people one-on-one um, both in person and virtually or telephone if that's what they prefer um, but again um, I think what's really going to help people get us uh, the best bang for their buck, if you will, is 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 seeing them in that in that group virtual format. Um, so, but just be patient with us. We're we are getting to you. Your name is there. Um, it's just uh, it can be yeah, a little bit of uh, work to get through some of the lists. Dr. Smith, anything to top up on that? No, I think Dan's summed up perfectly. Wonderful. Thank you. And Lauren, last but not least. Thanks. Um, what do you not know already? Um, yeah, I think it's the same thing. Um, we offer that combination of one-to-one assessment and intake and then a really fleshed out pathway of, um, and our episode of care where, because we built this, you know, we're anticipating is going to be somewhere between 12 and 18 months in its program that way. And, but just like Chris and um, Dan's team, it is a lot of virtual group programming. And that is for a lot of reasons. One, we have huge catchment areas. So it's about providing equitable access to the patients across Alberta that are living with long COVID. It's about scaling the finite resource. Like Dan said, there's one, one, and one of each discipline. 
And then it's about bringing people together in that peer support environment, but also meeting them where they're at in terms of disease process. It's an energy limiting illness to pull them out of their homes is almost, if you think about the pros and cons, it's like, okay, fine. If I was serving Calgary zone and I wanted to provide in-person service, it would still be not even as indicated as, as much as a virtual service model is because it respects where people are and the needs that like, we don't need to see people in person to be able to deliver the care that we need to in this population in terms of coaching those really important principles, Christine highlighted, stop, rest and pace. And then recognizing that pacing is a very complex, multifaceted intervention. It, throwing the word pace out there is not sufficient to be able to say, I ticked a box and I talked about pacing. I provided my patient with some pacing, like handouts. It's like, it is a lifestyle change. It is illness adjustment and accepting that you cannot function the way that you previously did. It requires like prioritization in a really complex way in people that are of an age group that are generally in a workforce. So it's a huge shift of, of how people operate. So it's just to say there are services available. I can only speak to South Sector. And if you know you think your patient might be eligible, feel free to reach out and ask. Um, make a phone call give me a call and we'll talk about what a most appropriate destination for referral can be. Cause, um, I, you know, while we have funding, I'd like to be able to serve, um, patients the best that we, the best that we can. And with the programming that we have in place, um, and then, yeah, function, if you want to scale people and you want to have a good idea, just recognizing that if people present well, they may not actually be well. And having inventory about what happens around those appointments and those conversations um, is more important than that conversation itself. How did they prepare for it and what are they like after the fact? Those are going to give you a lot more in, information about how functionally impaired someone is in their everyday life. And if you think they are, uh, send them to CAR if they're in South Sector. Thanks for that, Lauren. So we'll move into the question period. I've got a couple in the queue from people that weren't able to attend. And if you do have questions, feel free to pop them into the chat box. Uh, so in line with what Lauren was just talking about, if a provider isn't sure where to refer a patient, who should they talk to for advice? If they're if they're sitting there thinking like, oh, maybe Chris, maybe Car, maybe IPOP, I'm not sure. Um, what's, what's the plan for them to help navigate that a little bit better? Lauren's got her hand up. I think rehab advice line is probably a really awesome primary destination. It's a quick call. It's associated with HealthLink. They have all the programming across the province. Um, I think Edmonton Zone has something similar. Christine, you can probably speak to it, but I think they probably interface quite a bit to be able to do it. And I think because this is such a huge thing about what's the best destination, um, Kira and her team at RAL have really good um, inventory and pathways for how to navigate and wayfind for patients the most appropriate service and then the communication back to family physician um, clearly outlines what that recommendation would be based on that functional assessment and that phone call yeah um, in the edmonton zone we have something called the covid rehab and recovery access line it is just for healthcare providers not for clients themselves um, to help them wayfind within the edmonton zone uh, phone number for that is 780 780- uh, six eight six eight seven three four or easy post COVID or, or sorry 
uh, easy post-COVID uh, sorry, CRS at ahs.ca um, that is kind of done out of uh, by one of our clinical supervisors at our program where we help kind of wayfind, but um, we um, you know are aware of the other programs within the community. Most people are calling us about rehab. Uh, when when they when they get to that line, um, but we do support understanding where the respiratory programs are, um, exercise programs, other other options within the zone. Perfect. And I know this was touched on, but just to clarify, because it is a question I, I do hear quite often, is does a provider need to refer to the IPOP clinic first before they go to Chris and Carr, or can they refer to both places at the time? Um, how does that process work? And I, I know we've touched on this, but just to provide some clarity on that. I know in South Sector, they can apply to both. So they can apply to the IPOP clinic um, for us, uh, as well as refer to CAR in, in the meantime while the patient's waiting. Mm -hmm. Or they can just refer to CAR. Um, Correct. If they yeah. if they don't need to go to, um, they don't need to see the medical team at the IPOP clinic in South Sector, they can just refer directly to CAR. Perfect. And this question might be, oh, go ahead, Dr. Smith, you came off mute there. You no, know, I was just going to say similar in Edmonton, um, you know, if, if the referring practitioner feels that they require um, a physician, a nurse practitioners or medical review, then referral to IPOP, but a similar time referral to Chris. Um, I think that the important thing to note would then be if somebody is being seen by Chris or indeed if they've been uh, touching this, but if they've been under the WCB rehabilitation program, they will not then come through our own uh, IPOP uh, MDT pathway. Um, so, um, for example, for those within uh, the WCB or who have previously been by WACB rehab program, um, we would refer them back to their case manager if we felt they still required ongoing needs. So um, I guess to expedite things uh, from the patient perspective, um, it's, it's important to, to, to note that from, from the rehabilitation uh, side. Thank you. And this question might be more suited to Dr. Smith. You touched on this a little bit earlier about vaccine injuries not being appropriate to the IPOP clinics. So if a patient does have a vaccine injury, they've got things such as fatigue, pain, difficulty sleeping. Uh, the question initially was, can they be referred to those clinics? So you said no. Uh, but the question is, is there a better place to refer that type of a patient to that can support their needs? So, you know, I, I think, you know, the first stop is always with the family physician for thorough review of uh, symptomatology, any other possible etiologies. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of review would direct uh, where to go to, depending on uh, what the what the what the symptoms are um, or what the concerns are. If it's concerned that this may be happened, may have been linked and should they get a further vaccine, you know, it's immunology advice. Um, if it's uh, a specific uh, system symptom, then a specialty, specialty uh, advice in that area. I think uh, the absolute first stop is is with family physician um, who are absolutely excellent and highly skilled and such uh, sort of dissecting through such symptoms and uh, channeling reviews. Any other thoughts on that question before I move to our last question? 
All right. So our last question for today, uh, where can a provider refer a patient who is living in the rural community or has challenges with mobility or transportation? Um, I, I can go first on this one for uh, us from a rehab lens um, and South Sector. If they have internet uh, and a device, then they can be referred by their practitioner to CAR and they'll receive the same care that someone living down the street from our facility would. That's wonderful. Yeah, we've got a lot of our services switching to virtual and, and online formats and, and that just opens up accessibility. So uh, thank you for answering that. Uh, so that wraps up our show for today. A huge thank you to all of our guests, to Dan Bradley, Dr. Maeve Smith, Leona Liskey, Lauren Singh, and Christine Hunter for joining us and sharing information about their clinics. We hope you'll take all of this information and share it with your colleagues. And if you work with patients, we hope that you'll share the resources that we talked about on this show. Uh, the replay of this series will be available on the Alberta Health Services YouTube channel, on the Long COVID webinar playlist, and as a podcast on the Alberta Health Services SoundCloud account. A special thank you to our digital media and communications team for all your help in editing and posting these webinars. And a huge thank you to each of you that have taken time out of your day uh, to make this event a large success. Until next time, that's it for today. Together, we do amazing things every day.